What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Sometimes a new band hits you like a flash of lightning. Then just as quickly, it disappears into the Bermuda Triangle of rock. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cox. We highlight great artists who disappeared too soon and review a new release from the Los Angeles band Warpaint. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and we're going to talk about this Bermuda Triangle concept, Jim. And I think we sort of stumbled into it a few weeks ago, because as the calendar turns to the new year, we always look ahead to South by Southwest in March, our annual visit to that big music conference in Austin, Texas. And the conversation inevitably turns to great bands that you saw there once long ago and whatever happened to. And the more we, we thought this about conversation it. a lot. Yeah. It's not that our memories are going, but it's like, remember that band? It was like one of my best albums in 2000. Where did they ever go? I yeah. can't even remember the name right now. And for like two months or two weeks, that band is your life. It is the best band in the world for that period of time. And then they just seem to vanish into some hole somewhere and you never think about them again and can barely remember their name. That's going to be the Bermuda Triangle. This is going to be fun. But first, we have some music news. Well, the first days are the hottest days. Don't you worry, anymore. When life looks like easy street, there is danger at your door. Take this through. That is Uncle John's band from the Grateful Dead. The reason we're playing it is the Grateful Dead website has gone a massive overhaul. The most obsessively documented band in rock history, I contend, the Grateful Dead, getting this digital makeover. And this is significant for a couple of reasons. One, I think the Grateful Dead in their business model really anticipated the whole rise of the peer-to-peer file-sharing culture that we live in now. They had that tradition going for decades ahead of time. Uh, By allowing fans to tape every one of their shows with relatively sophisticated recording equipment and then trade those tapes for free, basically giving away their music in order to build a community, in order to build their fan base, creating a culture around the music of the Grateful Dead. I mean, that's the Internet in a nutshell, and the Grateful Dead were doing this back in the 1970s. Now, the band has gone digital in a huge way. Number two is just the size of this digital archive that they are presenting to their fans. That website's going to include 3,400 Grateful Dead shows. That's 15,000 hours of digital music. Jim, I can tell you're just excited about this, just me even talking about it. How many thousands of hours of (laughs) drums in space does that represent? (laughs) Countless hours, no doubt. It's all going to be available for free, though. In addition, collaborations with 77 other musicians. So this is an extremely extensive look at the Grateful Dead's history on this website. It's going to have a two-phase launch, one to introduce the music. The second is a funny one. They're going to introduce this virtual 
parking lot that is going to allow fans to replicate the experience of hanging out, trading those tapes in the parking lot before and after the show. Anybody who's been to a dead show realizes that the show going on outside the stadium was almost as entertaining and sometimes more much entertaining more, than more. the one inside the stadium. Of course, you know, it's all going to be virtual, so I'm kind of wondering, you know, there's no plans to have anybody selling grilled cheese sandwiches. Where's the scented candles? Where are the various liquid and chemical inducements that you'd find at the parking lot? I was thinking, Jim, you might want to jump in and help out with that. I'm always searching for the magic wand. Let it go, let it go, can't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn my back and turn my door. And here I stand, and here I'll stay. Let it go, let it go. The cool never bothered me anyway. Greg, I see you bopping along there. That is the smash self-empowerment anthem, Let It Go, the version by Demi Lovato. There are two versions of that song that are really popular with the tweens right now because they were featured in the Frozen animated film from Disney, as you asked. Is that a cartoon movie? Yes, it's a cartoon (laughs) movie. I know you haven't seen it yet. It's still on your list. The thing that's really interesting here, despite this being a smash on the Billboard charts, which measure Airplay, sales, and streams, it has downloaded more than 600,000 copies so far, right? It's getting no radio play whatsoever. Disney serviced the single a couple of weeks ago to radio, and in the week ending January 19th, just six radio stations across the country even bothered to add this song, which the kids are going crazy for, as I said. This is interesting because it's a harbinger of things to come, I think. In the last year, there were several smash successful albums that got no radio play whatsoever, even though these albums went to number one. They included Beyonce, Garth Brooks, Kanye West, Justin Bieber, and the Les Miserables soundtrack. So this may be something that we're going to see more and more of. You can have a number one hit album based on sales with zero radio play, making radio an even bigger disconnect from what people are actually listening to than ever. Greg, that's the great Ella Fitzgerald, who was legendary in the music world for having perfect pitch, the ability to always hit the exact right note. She was so good that the band tuned their instruments to her. No tuning fork, no guitar tuner long before, right? They tuned to this woman's voice. It has long been thought that perfect pitch is formed early in childhood in the developmental state, and that once you know, you're know you past a certain age, you can't go back and acquire something like this. But now there's a professor of molecular and cellular biology at Harvard University, Takeo Hench, who believes he has found a drug that if anybody takes this pill, they can acquire 
perfect pitch. How does it do this? It's a drug that's essentially a mood stabilizer used to treat epilepsy that returns the brain's state to this juvenile state where you can learn things that you never did when you were young and that you thought you were too old to learn. So it could well be that in the future you're able to take a pill and have perfect pitch, completely uh, destroying (laughs) the industry of auto-tune. And what's more, I'm a little troubled by this because I think it's not unlike doping in the sports world, right? If everybody can sing perfectly in tune like Ella Fitzgerald, where's the competition in that? Yeah, no American Idol, no The Voice. Oh, what a tragedy that would be if we didn't have those shows. But more importantly, if you had this magic pill, what would we be without Bob Dylan and Lou Reed and Wayne Coyne and even Mary J. Blige singing a little bit pitchy, as Randy Jackson would say, but bringing so much character and personality to their music? Perfection is definitely overrated. Bermuda Triangle, yeah It's easy to believe Down in the triangle It's easy to believe That is Fleetwood Mac from the early 70s, the pre-Stevie and Lindsay version of the band with Bob Welch on lead vocals singing about the Bermuda Triangle where ships and people go to disappear, Jim. And that's what we're going to talk about here in this segment, about where bands and artists go to disappear. They make a great record, make a huge impression for a few weeks, a few months, maybe even a year, and then are never heard from again. Well, this is all relative, you know, I mean, because we could get those kind of calls and emails after the show and say, there, I found a MySpace page, and this person actually self-released a track for sale in 2011, <laughs> yeah. and they haven't disappeared. No, no, no. But we mean, you know, we thought these bands were going to rule the world. We got very, very excited about them. In many cases, they they made our 10 best albums of yes. the year yeah. lists. And then uh, and then, then nothing happened. They didn't change the world. Not only didn't change the world, they disappeared. We, we can't even find them anymore. Yeah, they disappeared. And that's what happens at the Bermuda Triangle. So we've got a specially minted coin for this segment to see who goes first. On my side, Jim, I'm going to have the uh, the crewmen, the 39 crewmen of the SS Marine Sulphur Queen, which disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in 1963. Famous incident, Greg. On my half of the coin, I'm going to have Flight 19, Ooh. which were five TBM Avengers uh, that had survived World War II and then disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle in December 1945. So the coin is up in the air. Uh, Jim, it's you. I never win. All right. Well, I'm going to start with the band that really started this whole conversation. You and I often go back to South by Southwest in 2000 when we saw this band yeah. from France that we had never heard of before. We, we rarely wind up at the same club at the same time. We see the same bands, but often at, on different stages. And this band blew us both away. It was called Mellow, and it was led by a French duo, uh, but it was a big band that night. I mean, what, 10 or 12 people, right? There were Mellotrons and Theremins and guitar and keyboards, right? And it was a combination of the sort of orchestral pop that had not yet exploded with Arcade Fire and bands like that in recent years. It was very Beach Boys, very Pet Sounds, but with an element of can or noi or the German underground rock of the early 70s and a little bit of Pink Floyd. We were just riveted. We thought this band was going to rule the world. (laughs) We came home and we loved the album Another Mellow Spring by this band Mellow. Now, who were these guys? The real driving force was a guy named Patrick Woodcock, a multi-instrumentalist who was best friends with a fellow named Nicholas Godin, who was the driving force of Air. There was a lot of collaboration between Mellow and Air. There were some songs that were co-written on Air's best albums. Mellow made 
three records, another mellow spring, another mellow winter, and a, and a record called Perfect Colors. But then they just retreated into a state-of-the-art studio that they built in St. Cloud in France and have been producing acts ever since. Here is a wonderful song, Paris Sous la Neige, from the Another Mellow Spring American compilation of their work here on Sound Opinions. Do you think it's gonna snow? It's gonna rain. I don't know. Do you think the sun is gonna shine on me? I don't know. Do you think the sun is gonna be a hit single? Do you think I'm gonna hey, hey, hey. come? Do you think I'm gonna hey, get some hey, brand new hey, girls? Do you think I'm hey, gonna be a rich man? Do you think hey, I'm gonna hey, score? That is Paris Soulanege from Mellow and the album Another Mellow Spring, a Bermuda Triangle release, one of those great records that disappeared 
from view uh, a decade later. Jim, you and I both love that band. Here's another band that I loved from around that same time period, that whole garage rock revival that was happening late 90s, early 2000s. Big wave out of Detroit led by the White Stripes and other bands like The Go and Von Bondi's and The Sights. The band, though, that I loved the most out of that entire movement was named The Paybacks. Quartet led by vocalist Wendy Case, and I thought they were destined for big things. The first time I saw them was an early showcase, again, at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Blew me away. Their three albums did not disappoint. Not only getting the rock swagger and that attitude and those buzzing guitars, the real bite in that music, but also the poignance and the melody. And I think a lot of that had to do with Wendy Case's versatility as a vocalist and as a songwriter. As I said, three really good albums and then disappeared from view. Never got their due as far as I'm concerned. The first album is called Knock Loud, came out in 2002. Here's a track from it called Black Girl from the Paybacks on Sound Opinions. Paybacks with Black Girl on Sound Opinions, one of my favorite bands that disappeared, that vanished down that Bermuda Triangle black hole of rock and roll. Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we'll rescue more artists from the Bermuda Triangle. And then we've got a review of the latest from the L.A. Quartet, Warpaint.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He is Greg Cott. And so far, neither of us have been swallowed by the Bermuda Triangle. But some people may wish that that happened. We're talking about bands that really got us excited, that we thought were going to make a huge impact in the music world because they had made a huge impact on us. And then, nothing. Greg, I'm going next to a band that was here in Chicago, Loud Lucy. They came out with a debut album called Breathe in 1995. It was when Geffen was still the biggest label in the world because it was the biggest label in alternative rock. Chicago had had that feeding frenzy that got bands like Urge Overkill and the Smashing Pumpkins and Liz Fair to rule the alternative rock world. Loud Lucy were either a little behind the times or way too far ahead of it. They had a lot of trouble getting this debut album out. A first version was recorded with Seattle's Jack and Dino. That album was deemed too slick. So Geffen killed it, and then Loud Lucy, this trio from Chicago, went into the studio again with Brad Wood, who had just had a smash with Liz Fair's Exile in Guyville. I think the result was this wonderful, scrappy garage rock record that had hints of the grunge movement in it, but without the kind of whininess that had come to dominate so much of alternative rock. It was more pop, punk, young, and scrappy with this wonderful frontman, Christian Lane. Yet this record came out. They had a big tour with Alanis Morissette. Lane and Alanis Morissette had a relationship. And then they disappear without a trace, never to be heard from again. Apparently, Christian Lane stayed out in L.A. at the end of the tour or something and began to write some music for television. The only credits I could find were for shows like Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen and Wishcraft. Here's a band that that could have been, should have been, never was. Loud Lucy with a song called Ticking from Breathe in 1995 on Sound Opinion.
That's Loud Lucy with Ticking from 1995. Remember them, Greg? Yeah, a lot of bands in Chicago at that time. They're sort of the wannabe bands from Chicago that you thought were going to make it big. Chicago was supposed to be the next Seattle. It never quite worked out that way. I'm going to want to focus on a band from the 2000s, the new millennium that came out in 2001. Cannibal Ox really got the definitive Jux label out of New York City on the map. LP was the founder of that label. He was also the producer on this record and made a huge impact with this record on the indie hip-hop scene, collaborating with the MCs Vast Air and Vordul Mega on a fantastic album, a soundscapey kind of thing, creating this vibe about New York City, very reminiscent of that movie, Escape from New York. Remember that Kurt Russell flick from the early 80s? Yeah, yeah, the classic. You remember that, but not Frozen, Well, of course not. You know, the rust and the rot of the city, people starting fires in garbage cans just to stay warm at night. There was no electricity. It seemed like everything was shutting down. That's the vibe they create on this record. And it's wonderful. But it also begged for a follow-up. I couldn't wait for Vast Air and Vordul Mega to collaborate again. As of yet, they have not released that second album. You know, it's kind of one of those My Bloody Valentine type of things where you think, oh yeah, it'll, it'll come next year, it'll be here. You keep hearing little hints here and there. Supposedly, they are working on a second album, but I've seen no sign of it yet. LP was on this show just a few years ago saying, I don't think it's going to happen. So we'll see. Here's hoping for the best, but meanwhile, The Cold Vein, a great record that disappeared down the Bermuda Triangle of hip-hop, and a track called Iron Galaxy from Cannibal Ox on Sound Opinions. Shamar, work hard, Shamar, see Cypher, law, adapt bars, snap stars, and detach large channels, but a boss handle might break mics, Vortal Megala, the cannibal, eight mics, strive, live, live, oh, five, I want 108 mics. Son, yo, son, did yo, you see yo. that kid, yo? Cannibal Ox with a track called The Iron Galaxy from the Cold Vein, a Bermuda Triangle hip-hop record. We had a bunch of listener suggestions about records and artists that they felt vanished after making spectacular albums or having a brief 
moment in the spotlight. Jim, you got a couple you want to mention, right? Yeah, the one I thought really nailed it was David from D.C., who on Facebook wrote about White Whale, a band we were both really excited about in 2006, was on the Merge label. It was some of the members from the Get Up Kids who had made a big impact before that. We thought this was going to be the band where they finally ruled the world, and uh, nothing has happened ever since. Some of the most mentioned bands was Elastica, and I think we would agree with that. Mid-90s through early in the new millennium, they put out two albums. They gave us a lot of other artists, too. Peaches toured with them, and MIA started out with Elastica. They were doing that female version of Wire, pop art punk. Two great albums, and then no music ever since. Justine Frischman is a painter now in London. Yeah, they went in the Bermuda Triangle, but XTC, somebody else said. You know, I don't know. They had a 20-year phenomenally successful career that came to an end. We miss them, but I don't know if they were in the Bermuda Triangle. Andy Partridge is playing <laughs> with his toy soldiers in, in the English countryside. You know, we know where he is. He just doesn't want to make music. I thought Steve uh, on Facebook uh, made a great suggestion and, and a very obvious one, but still, D'Angelo, yeah. who made two masterpieces, really, one of the most important R&B artists of the, of the 90s and early 2000s, and then, you know, where's he been? He, he surfaced on a tour last year with uh, Mary J. Blige, and he was supposed to do some more dates this year, and, and still, no word of Nothing. a third album from D'Angelo that's been 10-plus years and counting, and Lauren Hill, Rebecca suggested that by email. Lauren has had some difficulties with the law. She actually ended up in jail a few months ago because tax of issues. tax issues. So she's had some difficulties following up one of the most acclaimed studio albums of the late 90s. She did release a live album in between there, but the proper follow-up to that fantastic debut, the miseducation of Lauren Hill, is still not to be seen or heard. If you'd like to rescue a band from the Bermuda Triangle, we're eager to hear 888-859-1800 is our hotline. We've got a couple more picks, each of us, Greg. I'm going to go to the hip-hop world next myself. The Divine Styler made a big impact on me in the early 90s. This was a guy named Mark Richardson who was born in Brooklyn, and he was part of Ice-T's posse, but he made a masterpiece that came out in 92 called Spiral Walls Containing Autumns of Light. Now, as you know, I am a big fan of psychedelic hip-hop. The notion, you just described those burning trash cans and the rust and rot on the streets mm -hmm. of New York, the notion that you can transcend this ghetto environment and go someplace better, enlightening, liberating with the powers of the mind and music. I love that idea. And Divine Styler got there in two ways, a sort of psychedelic consciousness. There's a lot of psychedelic rock, a lot of freeform jazz, and a lot of just freaky stuff on this album musically. But then lyrically, he was discovering the power of Islam and welcoming that force in his life. There is that sort of Sufi strain of, of Islam that's, that's very otherworldly worldly and psychedelic. And so the lyrics are really kind of trippy. It's this weird beat poetry about soul and spirit and transcendence, and the music is from another world. I was playing it before the show, and nobody on Team Sound Opinions liked that. <laughs> but I thought this has always been a, a great album, and I was waiting for more. Where else could this, this strain of music go? You know, this was the beginning of something, and it went nowhere. Divine Styler has popped up on a few guest tracks here and there, but never done another proper album. This is a song called Walk of Exodus from that one perfect album, Spiral Walls Containing Autumns of Light in 1992 on Sound Opinions. 
Vine Styler with Walk of Exodus from 92 on Sound Opinions. Greg, what do you got next? Jim, I'm going to go to the album I made my number one album of the year in 1998. It is the self-titled debut by Bloque, a Colombian rock band. This was the time when the rock and espanol movement was surging. A lot of these South American bands were starting to tour. The Luwaka Bop label, which was run by David Byrne and put out this particular record, was making that movement known to North Americans. And Bloque benefited from that sort of exposure, and they deserved it. I thought they were the best rock band I saw that year. The Colombian octet, led by this sardonic, very pointedly political singer named Ivan Benavides. And he had this attitude, you know, he was a very striking figure on this stage, this large, shaven-headed guy, sort of like a, a South American version of Midnight Oil's Peter Garrett, except with a better sense of humor. And then a wonderful guitar player named Ernesto Ocampo, who seemed to have absorbed everything from Led Zeppelin's Jimmy Page to the master guitarists of South America. So you hear a blend of cumbia and salsa with hard rock and hip-hop, a wonderful stew of sounds. The track I'm going to play, Daniel en el Baño, is basically saying, okay, there's damage in the bathroom and extrapolating it out. Well, there's damage in my apartment. There's damage in my neighborhood. There's damage in my city. We are living in squalor as sort of the have-nots of society. So taking this, this little concept and blowing it out into a bigger picture, all with very fervent lyrics and also very fervent musical backings. Daniel en el Baño from Bloque on Sound Opinions.
Bloque from their 1998 self-titled album, their only album, a great example of a Bermuda Triangle band, Daniel and Albano on Sound Opinions. And Greg, we want to remind listeners that we are eager to hear their nominations for great bands that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Give us a call. We'll share it on the air, 888-859-1800. We'll be back with our final picks and a new album from the space pop outfit Warpaint in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. We decide to get away and have some fun Says Hawaii's too expensive. I say Barbados isn't bad. She says I'd love to see Bermuda. And I say, woman, are you mad? Bermuda Triangle. It makes people disappear. Bermuda Triangle. Don't go too near. Don't go too near. But she doesn't see my angle. And she thinks I'm being dumb. So Bermuda. Sound Opinions, I'm Jim DeRogatis, he's Greg Todd, and we're wrapping up our discussion of Bermuda Triangle bands. And Greg, I'm going back to South by Southwest. One of my favorite discoveries in 2009 was a band from Venus, okay, called Mm. She Creatures. Uh, (laughs) They actually were from Bristol, England. These were four young women who all looked like Jane Fonda in Barbarella. Now talk about a movie that's even better than Escape from New York. And they claimed to be from Venus. They were coming to Earth to take it over with, quote, their highly infectious rockin' tunes and their deadly love ray. <laughs> this was a certain amount of shtick. But in the garage rock world, there, there often is. you know. And this was a great band that had these really super melodic songs that were, were delivered with maximum garage band grunge, you know, Vox Continental Organ and Fuzzbox. It was really white stripe or Detroit, you played the paybacks earlier, very much in that mold. And people really got excited. I just got an email from somebody a couple of weeks ago. Hey, remember that band, She Creatures, that you <laughs> played? You turned me on to them. Then what happened? I went to the website at that point, and then this is a band that had played a really high-profile slot at the Glastonbury Festival and at South by Southwest. You know, those are listed on the website from 2008-2009, and it says, more gigs coming soon in huh. 2010. 
I'm sorry, but you're in the Bermuda Triangle or, or possibly, <laughs> you know, in some space black hole off of Venus. The thing that strikes me about this, there's a poignancy to the Bermuda Triangle idea in that imagine saving up the money and flying yourself across the world from Bristol, England or from Columbia like Bloquet did, you know, and coming to a big thing like South by Southwest or touring America and, and opening people's ears and getting people excited and then going home. And that was it. That was that one adventure, that one trip. That was your one shot, and you never took another. And that's really kind of sad. But, you know, the records live on. And this is a song called Sexy Robot from the one and only She Creatures EP on Sound Opinion. He's got to play it in tribute to all those musicians that, that almost got there but didn't quite. She Creatures on Sound Opinions. Now there are days when I get a little tired of the astronomical demands in being an intergalactic medium of rock. I reach for the one thing I know I can always depend on. I bought him for 11,000 zebra all those years ago on the planet Funk. He satisfies my every need just like the first time I pressed his on button. robot from She Creatures. Jim DeRogatis is an example of a Bermuda Triangle band. One EP. That's a small body of work and that definitely qualifies. That's a little schooner out there on, on the Bermuda yeah, you Triangle. You didn't even see them, so it's up. possible I, I just know. hallucinated that whole <laughs> yeah. night. I don't know. But there was a website. <laughs> Quite possible. I'm going to stay in England. The Propeller Heads did fall into that Bermuda Triangle after making one great album and a series of singles and EPs in the late 90s. A British duo, Will White, Alex Gifford, I thought they had a great take on the emerging electronic music movement, the second wave that hit in the late 90s, early 2000s. They combined this uh, electronic bass. They were steeped in the DJ culture, but they also had this feel for big band swing, you know, those powerhouse jazz sections. Uh, They had some rock in there, and they had a great sense of style. They loved those 60s James Bond movies, uh, and in particular, the vocals of Shirley Bassey. And they hired Shirley Bassey. He said, come and sing on one of our tracks. Let's update that great sound. It never should have gone away. Shirley Bassey, that powerhouse Welsh vocalist. I think she had been in the Bermuda Triangle when they found her. She disappeared. She gave us uh, Goldfinger, you know, in the 60s. Who can forget that? They made one 
great album aptly titled Decks and Drums and Rock and Roll. And the key track was the one with Shirley Bassey on it called History Repeating. It's the propeller heads on Sound Opinions. The word is about there's something evolving. Whatever may come, the world keeps revolving. They say the next big thing is here. That the revolution's near. But to me it seems quite clear that it's all just a little bit of history repeating. Propellerheads and Shirley Bassey with History Repeating, one of the bands uh, that we resurrected from the Bermuda Triangle of rock and soul and hip-hop. You can see all of our picks at soundopinions.org. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that is from the new War Paint album, a self-titled album from this Los Angeles quartet. It's called Disco Very. War Paint's been around the L.A. scene since 2004, but they have been very sparing in the amount of music they have put out. They didn't make their first album until The Fool in 2010. You know, a rare example, Jim, I was thinking of a band that has taken years to develop and hone their sound. Very unusual in the Internet age where there's this big rush to get stuff out there on the Internet. This band really took its time. Emily Kokel and uh, Teresa Wayman, the two guitarists in the group, have known each other since they were in grade school in Eugene, Oregon, before ending up in L.A. together. They had a self-released EP that was mixed by one of their fans, John Frusciante, the uh, ex-Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist, and then Rough Trade signed the band. A legendary talent scout, Jeff Travis, attended one of their shows in New York and said, you guys are great, you just need to find a drummer. They were going through a bunch of drummers at the time, and they found a good one. Stella Mazgua, a versatile Australian musician who had played with a number of, of groups, joined the band at this time, just in time to make The Fool in 2010. Acclaimed record. Get the guest list on this particular album, or at least the producer. Flood has been enlisted to produce. He apparently is a big fan of the band. They got a pretty good mixer, too. Radiohead producer Nigel Godrich 
Here's a track from it. It's called Love is to Die from War Paint on Sound Opinions. That is Love is to Die by Warpaint from the self-titled Warpaint album. Greg, I liked The Fool in 2010, but I didn't love it. And I was a little bit trepidatious when I saw all the star power producing this record. Flood and Nigel Godrich, you know, the team that Mm. brought you Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails, U2, for goodness sakes. There was the threat of bombast. But in fact, if anything, this is a much more subtle record, lugubrious even, and I mean that in a positive way. This is ambient music, and so I think I am entitled to the obligatory Brian Eno reference. Ding. The king of (laughs) ambient. He defined ambient music as music which rewards close attention but does not demand it. And I think, on one level, you could enjoy this in your headphones while you're going to work, doing the dishes, making the bed, and, and have it on in the background, right? But I think if you give it the time to really get into these grooves, you will find that this is a really sensual record. This is perfectly well-timed with Valentine's Day a couple of weeks away. It's music about intimacy and about love and about connection, and it has this wonderful floating quality. There's something wonderfully psychedelic and enveloping about these sounds, and I just love them to pieces. On the new, revised Sound Opinions rating scale, we have Buy It, we have Try It, which replaces the old uh, Burn It, right? We're essentially saying sample it, see if it's for you, right? Stream it, borrow it from somebody, and we have Trash It. I, I would say I'm, I'm a really high Buy It on this record. Well, Jim, the, the way this group has evolved to me is fascinating. They have developed a sound that is, is very much their own over the course of playing together. I think uh, Stella Mazgua was the final piece of that puzzle where you hear 
you know, essentially four lead instruments in this group. You know, Great they, at any moment they can have come to the forefront and then recede. And I also like the way it's less of a rock record than The Fool was, but it's not just sitting there. You know, to me, it's they've made ambient music danceable. They mm-hmm. put a little shimmy in there. I'm put in mind of some of those great 4AD bands, you know, uh, Cocteau Twins, Throwing muses from the from the eighties, the very subtle insistence on these melodies, the inventive layered vocal harmonies, I think, are another strength of this group. Everybody sings, and the way those harmonies come at you in very unexpected ways, in very unexpected parts of the song, it's like they come at you and then they disappear again. And I love that about it because you can keep coming back to it and hearing new things over and over again. These are not conventional songs. People looking for straight-up hooks and for verse-chorus type of structure may be a little off-put by this record, but I think it's wonderful. It's a buy-it record all the way for me. So that is a double buy-it for Warpaint. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, we have an in-studio performance by the Reunited Dismemberment Plan. As always, Greg, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Jason Saldana, Anthony Martinez, and our intern, Jake Smith. And one final note, Greg, on the way out. Did you see that funny list of surprising ghostwriters in Fact Magazine in the world of hip-hop? I mean, can you believe that Nas wrote Getting Jiggy With It for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? <laughs> On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. Just look into my eyes. New messages. My name is Lynetta Hamill. I am from Cape May Courthouse, New Jersey. The question was, what do you think about the early days of the Beatles? In my opinion, they were the best years. Anytime at all. Anytime at all. tender-hearted lyrics written by these young men. They had nice melodies, very singable, a little of depth and joy in them, and I just miss that so much today. Thank you. Bye. Uh, hi, this is Ken Krimstein calling from Evanston, Illinois. Love the Mark Lewison interview. I'm loving the book. Uh, I'm about, I don't know, 700 pages into it, and I can't wait for the next two or three to answer even more of my questions. Moving ahead into the next two volumes, I'd be curious to find out more about Beatles' relationship with Dylan, the story about how Dylan uh, got them stoned for the first time. I, I don't know about that. And how they listened to each other. I remember hearing that... Uh, was uh, Brian Wilson or McGuinn said that they used to get test pressings across the ocean back back, back and forth and it would be like messages of what's coming up next. I don't want to leave it now. Yeah, no, I believe in hell. Yeah, no, I believe in hell. Finally, I'd be very curious to find out the, the decision that made them stop or how it stopped after the Candlestick Park gig. 
how long had that been coming, the, the end of touring? So, so many questions. Great show, great interview. Thanks. My name is Janet, and I was listening to your show this morning on WFUV. Very fascinating show with, I think, Mark Lewison talking about the history of the Beatles. And they asked whether we had some questions that we would like the next book on the Beatles to, to cover, to answer. What I am curious about is, is there um, a website or a book already in existence that will clear up some of the mysteries about who actually wrote all the songs? Which were the John songs, which were the Paul songs, and which were the John and Paul songs? For the benefit of Mr. Kite, there will be a show tonight on trampoline. The Hendersons will all be there, late of Pablo Frank is there, what a scene. Over men and horses, hoops and garters, lastly through a hogshead of real fire. In this way, Mr. K will challenge the world. I've heard it said that you can kind of tell by whoever sings the lead, but not always. So I'm very curious about this. Thank you very much. This is Mark from Bowie. And I want to comment on the show I just heard, Beatles history, the early years. I'm going to Beatles Festival in New York the uh, 7th of February to celebrate the anniversary of them coming to America and appearing on Ed Sullivan. I have a possible future question or topic and for him to get to the bottom of really the source and what was intended with the lyrics in Tomorrow Never Knows. That particular song is so intriguing. Uh, the sound, the lyrics, the production, it has got to be their most psychedelic piece of music. Keep the show up. Thank you. Bye-bye. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.